0: It is a, a privilege to, to speak to you this morning, and it's about a year and a half since I was here and I love coming to this church. I find uh, it's a lovely surrounding. It's a nice church building, of course that's not the most important thing, but the Lord is present here in the people and I enjoy catching up with people that we haven't seen for a while. Now Andre has taken the theme this morning so I think I can pack up and go home because what I want to preach on is Matthew 7 verse 13 and 14. So we can take that as coincidence or we can take it as a sign from the, from God that perhaps there's something we need to, to um, hear this morning. So let's perhaps read that scripture first. And Andre emphasized part of it, but I'd like just to read the two verses in total. So Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14. It says there, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Now, that's probably a passage of scripture that's been spoken on by many uh, a teacher or a preacher over the years. And uh, it's a good thing, I think, before you look at a scripture to Go into the context. And the context here is it is Jesus of course speaking, but it's at the end of a very long um, run of teaching, the sayings of Jesus and um, preaching. And if you go back to Matthew verse or chapter five, you'll find that Jesus starts here with what's called the Beatitudes and he talks about those who are blessed. And perhaps there's people in there in that group that are blessed that may not seem the most likely people to be blessed. They're the ones who mourn, the ones who are struggling, the ones that are suffering for righteousness' sake. Now, it's interesting, at the very start of that, he says, and seeing the multitude, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came to him. Now, many times I've listened to, to teaching and preaching on this particular passage, that's Matthew 7, 13 and 14, where it's, Putting it in the context of the world or the lost. But Jesus here is clearly speaking to his disciples. And if you go from here, it's probably the greatest sermon, the greatest passage of teaching the world's ever heard. And it starts in chapter 5. And you can follow it, it goes right through up to the end of chapter 7. And it says there in verse 28 and 29. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings the people were astonished at his doctrine for he thought him as one having authority and not as the scribes. So it's the amazing and powerful section of the book of Matthew. And again just to put in context just look at some of the things he covered. All things which are relevant to the life of a believer. So he Obviously we mentioned the Beatitudes about those who are blessed, those who are truly blessed. He goes on then and he talks about the salt of the earth. What it is for a Christian to be the salt of the earth. He talks about the law. He didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. He talks about breaking the commandments. He talks about teaching on murder and anger and um, temptation I'm just looking at the headings here. Divorce. Teaching on making and taking oaths. Teaching on forgiveness. You know, we have to forgive. We can't expect anything from the Father in heaven unless we forgive. So we have to forgive. So there's teaching there forgiveness. We have to love one's enemies. Some of these are very high callings and very, very difficult things to be asked to do. There's teaching on giving. There's teaching on prayer. We have the model prayer, the model template. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That great prayer. There's teachings on fasting. How we should conduct ourselves fasting. How we should conduct ourselves in giving. How we do it quietly and, and uh, not to seek honor or glory before men, but to do it for the, the Father's sake. There's teaching on treasures. What are the true treasures? It talks about not laying up for yourself treasures on earth. Where moth and rust are corrupt and where thieves Break through and steal, but to put our emphasis on storing up treasures in heaven. Worry is talking about worry. It's talking about what to seek first: seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and His righteousness. Now, following up to, up to where we're coming close to our passage, judging how should we judge asking and receiving then it comes to the straight and the wide gates which i want to have a look at today so it, this is a passage that's in a whole body of some of the most profound teaching and examples for the believer that can be found and the callings are very high and what's mentioned in those Chapters 5, 6, and 7. That's the standard that we're measured against. And we can't do it, of course, in our own strength. We can only do it through, through Jesus. Not our righteousness, but his righteousness. So that's just by way of introduction. And just to, to continue an introduction, bearing in mind we're talking now that Jesus was talking to his disciples. And equally, we can apply it to the world as well. We can apply this, this morning to those who are lost, who don't know the Lord. But a serious question this morning, and that question is 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, and it's something perhaps we would all think of from time to time. The question would be, how we can be sure we're saved? Am I right with God? And what it says in that scripture is to examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves, how that Christ is in you, except you be rep- reprobates or as the old King James for disqualified. So th- there's an urging there not to, I believe, to make assumptions or to take things for granted, but to constantly check ourselves. And to check ourselves not against worldly wisdom or worldly standards, but against the Word of God and the standards He's laid out. Another question we might ask in the context of Matthew 7. 13 and 14 is Do all roads lead to God? Many Christians, maybe use the word Christian with a small c, would accept that nowadays, that all roads lead to God. Or, you know, we can fellowship with people that don't believe the same thing at all, that uh, differ drastically. It's okay, of course, to have minor differences. You know, we unite about the central and essential things of doctrine. But Can we ally ourselves with the Catholics? Can we ally ourselves with the Muslims? No. We can't. So not all roads lead to God. The other thing I would say this morning is we're all on a spiritual journey. Whether we realize it or not. So we're on the correct spiritual journey or we're on another spiritual journey that leads to a place of destruction which we'll have a look at closely in a few minutes. Now the choices we make, you know, we've been given free will, we've been given free choice, those choices we make affect the road that we're on. So which road are you on? Which road have you chosen? It's the most important decision that you will make. So we're living in an age now of moral relativism. It's like In the old days of Israel in the Old Testament, everyone does what is right in their own eyes. There's um, so many different versions of truth. And it's the most insecure place to be and the most insecure position to have in life. Not to have a standard and not to have something solid and foundational to rest on. It brings great insecurity and great destruction. And we see that around the world as we look at the things that are happening as people abandon Christ and abandon. Even, even those people are not perhaps um, true believers, but they abandon the foundational things that came from previous generations that that uh, based their systems and their, their conduct on Christian values and Christian principles. It talks here about the way. And we know in the Old Testament or in the, sorry, not the Old Testament, uh, in the New Testament, the time of the early church. The followers of Jesus were called people of the way. So the question this morning would be what way are we on? And the way we should be on is the way of the Master, of course. Okay. I picked up three Greek words. We'll have a, Greek, a little Greek lesson this morning. And I read this in an article recently. And those words are cosmos, which is the world. Cosmon, which is the things of the world. And cosmopolitan. Cosmopolitan is a word we see used a lot. People like perhaps to think that they're cosmopolitan. Cosmopolitan means a citizen of the world. Not something we should aspire to as believers. We don't want to be citizens of this world, but we're the citizens of the heavenly kingdom, the New Jerusalem. That kingdom which is to come. Amen. Now when we're walking on the correct road and in the correct way, our testimony is good. When we stray, our testimony suffers. And it's not enough this morning to say I think I'm saved or I believe I'm saved. I must be. Because we've got to be careful of our hearts. Our hearts are capable of leading us into all sorts of deception. So and Jeremiah 7.19, of course, is a scripture that we, we, we use a lot. That the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And who can know it? And it's a very, very true statement. That we shouldn't, again, make assumptions. We should be constantly checking and measuring ourselves against God's standard. Because the heart will lead us astray and the heart will deceive us. So we should examine ourselves. And another scripture, Hosea 4.6. The importance of adhering to this word and knowing the word of God. It's, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because thou hast rejected knowledge. So, a very, very common, well known, but very, very relevant scriptures. Question I'd ask again this morning where are you getting your knowledge from? Is it from the most popular preacher on the circuit at the moment? Or perhaps from the internet? Or is it from God's word? Again, I notice there's a church here where, where Pastor John emphasizes the importance of the word and the word is held central. And I only want to add to that and just compound that this morning that it really, really, really is essential, particularly these days, that we don't go off in all different directions and listen to the latest teaching without thoroughly checking it and making sure it lines up with this standard in front of me here. We hear in the news a lot in terms of President Trump, about fake news. Fake news is a term that's bandied about a lot. But we should beware of fake Christianity. Now these teachings we just mentioned, going right through 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, they're simple when you look at them in isolation, but they're so profound. Now I want to just spend a little bit of time now and look at these two gates, two roads, two ways. And just talk a little bit about those because they're very, very relevant. So, there are two gates that are mentioned in those passages 13 and 14. There's a wide gate, it's wide and the entrance is easy, but it starts the way to destruction. Many can go in there, they can go in without sacrifice. It doesn't require sacrifice. It's an easy way, and our brother, this morning, brother Andre mentioned about the easy way. Most people, they pass through this gate. They don't give any great thought. They don't give second decision there's no boundaries no restrictions it's the path of least resistance another term that Andre used this morning you can bring whatever baggage you like through this case it can be your materialism your prejudices your hatred, your unforgiveness nobody's going to question you or or, um, challenge you you'll go with the flow All of us, when we were born, we were born into sin. We know that from Scripture. Romans three twenty three. Let's have a look at it. Again, we're using very well known scriptures this morning. What does it say? It says, "For all of sin to come short of the glory of God." That's the condition we come into this world in. So, in a sense, we're already at that gate. But praise God. All of us will get the chance to hear the gospel preached. None of us can have an excuse. We hear the gospel preached and then we have a choice. We are creatures of choice. We've been made that way. And we can decide to do a U-turn, as it were, a spiritual U-turn, and come back to the other gate. So what's the other gate? It's the narrow gate. Again, mention the verse th- Verse 13. And it's beginning, it's the beginning of the way to life. Again, the other gate was broad. Why is this one narrow? It requires self-denial and obedience. Matthew 16, verse 24, it says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Was on to talk about losing your life. Not very inviting terms for this particular gauge. There's no room in there for consuming desire for materialism. And we could jump back to the previous chapter, Matthew 6, 19 to 20, when they're talking about treasures. You know, an urging by Jesus not to be caught up in laying up treasures in this earth because they're only transient they're going to get destroyed everything here is going to get consumed eventually and and, um, will face destruction so the overemphasis or overconcentration on things of this world there's no eternal value in it but there is great value in laying up things that are of eternal value treasures in heaven that could be winning souls could be preaching his gospel there are many things that come under that heading but they are the things of eternal value the things that changed people's lives turned people to the Lord. There's an interesting um, picture I thought of. I don't know if anybody remembers. In about 2016, there was a, a, an Emirates flight, I think it was coming from India, and it crash landed at Dubai airport. And it caught fire, and it was starting to burn outside, and smoke was filling the cabin. And there was all these people on board, but they were busy opening the overhead lockers trying to get out their, I guess, their laptops and packages with passports, whatever. And the stewardesses were screaming, get out, get out, get out. So in a sense, there's a bit of a picture there about sometimes trying to take your baggage with you or trying to hold on to things. To me, it conveyed a picture that can actually result in death, spiritual death. Of course, in the case of the plane, you are talking about physical death, but, but trying to hold on to things. I've, I've heard it said by people before that we should hold on to things like that loosely in our hands, not like that. So trying to hold on to things sometimes has the, the opposite effect of what we, what we might think. There's no room in that gate for self-righteousness, pride, or arrogance. We know that this gate, the cost is too high for some. And uh, again, in Matthew, we we won't read it, but if you want to have a look at Matthew 19, verse 16 to 30, you'll see the story of the rich young ruler. And he seemed to tick all of the boxes until he was asked to sell everything up and to give his money to the poor. And Jesus put his finger on where the tender spot was. And, um, you know, he says further on than that passage that it was easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. So we have to beware of the the trap of materialism and wealth, which are not in themselves perhaps sinful, but to be consumed by them certainly is it takes away our, our time, it takes away our attention for the Lord. It's an open gate. Romans ten thirteen all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So that's the two gates. There are two ways mentioned there. Also, there's a Broadway. I guess you could play play in words. You could think about Broadway in New York. Maybe there's a connection. I don't know. (laughs) So there's a Broadway, and on this Broadway, any behaviour is acceptable. On this Broadway, you're not going to stand out among the crowd. You're going to go with the flow. You're going to blend in, and a lot of us, perhaps, that's the way we like to be. We feel comfortable. It's nice to be in the crowd. Nice to be, uh, to um, feel that you belong. But, again, going back to what Andre said, as a Christian, that's not the way it's going to work out. We're not going to belong. We're going to stand out. We're going to be hated for the sake of Jesus. There's no need to change your lifestyle. You know, you can happily Promote okay marriage, you can happily you know, talk about your rights, gender equality, whatever you want. Perhaps you'll get cheered for it. People will lift you up and think that you're a great person. You may think you're free and liberated on this road. A lot of people think perhaps so, we're liberated from The bonds of stupid Christianity and and these crazy people but they're not really liberated, they're enslaved, they're enslaved to the God of this world you might think you're tolerant or open minded but in fact those on that road they're rebellious and disobedient to God there's a second way, there's a narrow way or again as Andre would would have said this morning the difficult way and um, anybody that's ever convinced you that Christianity is an easy walk well, that they've, they've fooled you it is a very difficult walk and um, it's um, it's going to get more difficult and we can see it even happening here and not just in, in places like Sri Lanka but it's um, starting to take shape here and, and the soft end of persecution I think is, is starting to come in and it's not popular it's not popular to be one on the um, the narrow way, or to take a stand for Jesus, I mean even we look at um, the Israel Fall recently and look at even Christians who would have ticked that they support them and then they get picked off and their their or their positions are threatened, and they withdraw their criticism so so it's um, it 's a difficult way, not many are going to actually stand some will give way and um, Succumb to pressure and to and to persecution. When I thought of this difficult way, I thought of um, I don't know if you've ever seen any of these these programs about truck driving in Afghanistan or up in the Himalayas. And you have these trucks and they're driving along the edges of massive mountains, and you have a huge drop down on your your, uh, pass- your passenger side, and it's almost as if the road is starting to crumble at the edge as they're driving, and they still manage to. Pull in and a truck can pass them by, and it's a treacherous way and a demanding way. So, the way to life is difficult. On this way, your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, according to Jesus. In Matthew 5, verse 20, he says, For I say unto you, accept that your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's a tall call, isn't it? Big request. We know we can't do that ourselves. When you're on this way, it requires commitment and not casual agreement. Jesus doesn't want part of us. He wants 100% of us. And it will cost everything. many refuse to go on this way because to go on the way they would have to give up the pleasure or the enjoyment of the sin and sin's got a big hold sin is a very attractive thing seductive thing for many and you know the pleasures of sin hold on to people hold on to them from, from taking the right choice and the only way we can be protected from sin is to stay under the Lord's covering Stay out of the enemy's territory, and do what he's asked us to do. And if you read through chapter five, six, and seven, there are a lot of instructions and a lot of um, standards that we have to meet. They are pressing on. Looking closer at those two verses again, there are two groups of people. There's one group called the many. Again, in verse thirteen. Many there be which go in thereat. Now, Scripture doesn't say that all are going to be saved. In fact, I, I, the way I understand it, most are lost. If you look back through the Scriptures through the Old Testament, you perhaps you see patterns of that. You see that in Noah's time when the, the world was judged and destroyed, there was only eight people came through Sodom and Gomorrah only a few came through the crossing of the promised land only a few went through so not many and again Jesus is saying it he's saying few not many so we're making a stand apart from the crowd you have to make that stand apart from the crowd, or risk being lost. Fairly confronting words, but um, it's good to know where we stand. Not to be in any sort of false, in uh, any false sense of security. It's good to know what's needed, and and to take in what's said here. In the world, we talk about security in numbers. Perhaps there's a contrast here. Perhaps. Spiritually speaking, not necessarily so. Maybe there's not security numbers. Don't look for where the numbers are. Look for where the people that are dedicated and committed and doing what they should be doing are. The second group of people spoken about there are the few. Verse 14. Few there be that find it. Jesus talking in Luke 13, verse 23 to 24. One of the reasons, by the way, I, I, I love these passages in Matthew is because they're all in red writing. It's Jesus speaking. It's the highest authority. There's no analysis or supposition, or you just have to believe it. That's what he said. It comes from the highest authority. So 23 and 24, and the Lord said unto the servant, sorry, I beg your pardon, I'm reading the wrong place, wrong chapter. 23 and 24 of chapter 13. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in that shall not be able. That's an interesting thought to consider. That people would want to go in but not able. A couple of things come to mind there. Whether those people are willing to lay down what they need to lay down, or perhaps they're trying to be saved according to their own terms. It's like that thought that um, I'll stay where I am now or I'll stay in the sin I'm in and I'll give my life when I'm ready. And well, we know it doesn't work that way, that salvation is of the Lord and you can only come at the timing when he calls you, not at the time you choose. So we just can't decide to go in on our own terms. It has to be according to the Lord's way. There are two destinations in those two passages. The first one is destruction. The road that leads to destruction in verse 13. Another interesting passage of scripture, 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 7 to 9. And to you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Jesus is loving. Father God was loving, he'd never do that, would he? That's what's going to happen. There's great judgment, great vengeance going to come on those who have not obeyed the gospel. And we'll never be able to stand in front of them and say we didn't hear or we weren't given the opportunity. I actually, I think of my brother, actually, he comes to mind. I have a brother. He's my eldest brother. And many times I've, I've, um, you know, tried to steer the conversation to to spiritual matters and, and um hasn't worked so far. But we pray, pray, keep praying that the Lord will soften his heart. But one of us uh, Response to me would be, "Oh, you, you guys are all the same. Look at all these. You're all hypocrites." The famous criticism that that, that uh, Christians get. And look at these money preachers on TV. They're they're gangsters, and you know, you're all the same. And my only response to to him and to uh, what people that would say that same thing is, "Well, when you stand before the Lord, you won't be able to use the misbehaviour of others as an excuse for your own situation. You're going to be on your own with Him, and it's it's too late. So, criticizing others now or..." looking for loopholes or, or calling people hypocrites or whatever, ain't going to wash in the day when you stand before the Lord. So, It's so a, good, a good answer to give to people that, that say that say those sort of things to you. John very clearly in Revelations 20, verse 15, talks about the lake of fire. Now we use a seven-day Adventist building to meet on Sundays. And I know the seven-day Adventists, they, they believe in annihilationism. I believe that um, you know, the, there's no hell that the, the lost are destroyed again I would say that those verses we're reading don't support that that um, you can't live your life now and do what you like and think oh great I've had a sinful life and enjoy the pleasures of the world and now I'll be destroyed I don't have to face anything unfortunately or fortunately whatever way you want to look at it from what position you're eternal and you will go on and there is a judgement to come those who have been blinded by Satan, they have this destination, this destruction. And um, you would always preach that with heaviness on your heart because you think of friends and family who are in that situation. You read these words and you realize if they don't submit and come to the Lord and accept that gospel which which you spoke about there, that there is destruction ahead for them. And what can we do? We can only just pray and, and witness to them. And you can't lead the horse to the water and make him drink the water, as they say. You can lead him to the water, but you can't, can't make him drink. This whole thought again of we have to make the choice and we have to, to make the right choice, choose the right road. The other destination is a better destination. It's life. The narrow way, narrow is the way which lead it unto life, and few there be that find it. Again, going back to what Andre was saying, this way to life is a difficult it's a difficult way. And we are eternal, as I've just mentioned. We are eternal creations. And we're not promised a comfortable life here at all at all by any means. Probably heard it said many times: the idea that you come to the Lord and um, you're following His way, that everything's going to be rosy, is, is a fallacy. And I just mentioned to the brother before the meeting that um, when Jem and myself came to the Lord and we made that decision, literally all hell broke loose out, and all sorts of things went wrong. So it's I can testify to that that it's um, it's not a an easy way. Satan will leave you alone as long as you're wandering along that wide road, causing no problem, no danger, but the minute you take the right way, the minute you become a, pray, a praying saint, a servant of the Lord, a minister of the gospel, you can guarantee you're going to be attacked. This next life is full of great rewards. and uh, It's always good to temper how we feel now and to, to think that this is only transient. I think I, use a, I used an example last week of, um, it is like looking on the gravestone or looking at the year of birth, 19-whatever hyphen 2000 or whatever, that we are in the bit that's in the middle, we're just a hyphen. and That it literally is a transient. It's only a, a microsecond, as it were, in terms of eternity that we're here but compare that to what lies ahead and to the glory and to the, the, um, the blessing that lies ahead for us who stick to the narrow road and, and do the right thing and, and one day we'll see the master face to face. We are but pilgrims passing through. We think of uh, Abraham. This everlasting life, it's a gift of God. Yeah, we could just jump to Romans, have a look at another Scripture which is quoted all the time. Romans six twenty three. For the wages of sin is death. It's the negative part, the good part. The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a gift. On this road, or this life, will bear the fruit of holiness. And we look at one more scripture in Romans. Romans six twenty to twenty two. A little um, earlier on. For when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had you then in those things? Whereof you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, we have your fruit unto holiness and the end of everlasting life. What's the evidence of a true believer? It's the fruit. Few people unfortunately find the way to life, and it is a sad thing. So bring it to a conclusion. Two gates, two ways, two groups, and two destinations are in those verses. Many think that their works put them on the right road. They may be sincere. Again, we use a term that we've used before. They can be sincerely wrong. Third thing or lesson for me there would be to beware of pride. One thing we know for sure that those on the broad road, if you're on a broad road, you're definitely heading for destruction. I would qualify, perhaps, the narrow road. Perhaps there are some who think they're on the narrow road, and I'm just alluding to something that Anton Bosch mentioned a few weeks back, that sometimes we can become proud or arrogant in the thought of being a remnant, that we're something special. And just because you're a remnant doesn't necessarily mean you're the right remnant. So you want to make sure you're in the correct remnant. Again, this thing, this is the guideline, this is the, the measuring stick. We're not to rely on intellect or on the intellect of others. Uh, come back to the very clear statement in John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And um, I would use that for anybody who's use any sort of intellectual argument to argue any other way that there are the very clear words of Jesus and they supersede and, and go above all intellectual arguments there's only one way do you want to go with the crowd or do you want to stand with Jesus and that's a decision we all have to make you know to abandon those things which are destructive to abandon the things of sin and to Go with the small few to stand with Jesus. The next passage of scripture that I look at, I find it very disturbing, because it's later on in this chapter where we're talking about the the two gates and the two ways, and it follows on from Jesus talking about beware of false prophets. But in verse twenty-one of that chapter six or chapter seven, it says. In Scripture are one of the most frightening, and I think would serve to sober any of us up, just to read that and to realise that there can be ones that have all the right signs, and seem to do all the right things, but in their hearts they're not right. And um, the response that Jesus gives there again, we may overemphasise the loving Jesus and the kind Jesus, but we're talking about Jesus here as the Judge, and um, a very different Jesus to the Jesus who came and laid his life down 2,000 years ago. So that's a a word of uh, warning and something to sober us up spiritually. One other point I'll make in conclusion, you can't have one foot on one road and one foot on the other. You could picture that in in your mind's eye. We know that when Jesus is speaking to the church of the uh, late Essenes, that those who are lukewarm or in that type of manner... He'll spit them out. And we're an offense to Jesus. So we have to make the hard choice and make that separation and be the few and stick on the narrow way. Perhaps you've heard it expressed before, but I think in those two verses, 13 and 14, you can insert Jesus in there because Jesus is the gate. He's the one who guards the entrance to the sheepfold. Jesus is the way and Jesus is the destination. He's the one we want to be with. Or you could reword it in another way. Perhaps another parallel would be that you were saved. And you were certainly saved when you made that decision and entered the gate. You are being saved as you march along that road and the difficulties and these trials we spoke about mold you and shape you into the Christian that you will be. And you will be saved, ultimately and conclusively, when you see J- Jesus face to face. And when you're like him one day, as we um, see in, in the little John, as I call him, the scriptures. Or one other way, parallel, we could say that we were justified when we entered. We've been sanctified along the way and we'll be glorified when we reach the destination. And in conclusion, just a final thing, I would ask one question. As a question that all of us I think should check and ask from time to time. Have you lost your way this morning? Check Go back to that first scripture which I, I mentioned, just checking and establishing and constantly making sure you're on the right way. Not doubting salvation, nothing like that, but just it's like a, a guidance system, that constant correction using the feedback from the Word of God to steer that straight course. It's interesting, um, often when, when people preach on these particular two passages. They bring to mind that picture. I don't know if you've seen that picture, the narrow road and the straight road. And um, I'm not sure who painted it, but or sorry, the narrow road and the broad road. And on the broad road you have a the wide gate and there's a big welcome sign. And as you go up along, there's crowds on the street, and there's um theatres and bars, and on the very top then there's a pitch and there's smoke and flames arising. And then on the Right on side of the picture, there's a preacher standing at the other gate. There's not too many people listening, listening to him. As you go through the gate then, there's the cross facing you. And then, just want to picture him from my mind here, churches, and then of course at the very top then there's, there's heaven. And uh, perhaps a good picture to keep in our minds. a minds, uh, Picture in the mind is a good thing. It's a, it's a good way of establishing a, um, a thought and to keep us on track. But keep your mind on that picture of the narrow road that the conclusion despite all the trials on the way, that conclusion is worth everything that we go through here for. So I'll leave it at that. So the, the Lord bless you all this morning and I pray that um, something this morning that uh, there would stir us up and challenge us, certainly challenge me reading it, preparing it and that um, let's all make sure we're on the correct road. Amen.